Hi, this is Pastor Rick. Welcome back to On Demand, one of my favorite places to be. Today we jump into the book of Judges and we talk about Samson today. And I'm going to talk about family lies. This is a brand new series called Tell the Truth. And we'll look at how families can lie to themselves. And also, it's amazing, you're going to learn that families can do all that they can do and end up in the wrong place with the person. How did Samson end up like he ended up? He's one of the least favorite guys I preached on. But this sermon, this series, is nice. It will swing it around a bit for you and help you see Samson in a different light and his family. Today we talk about family lies. We have a lot to talk about. Stay there. Be right back at the end of this to pray for you. So stay right there. I want today to talk about family. I want to turn this subject around today on family and get you to think about yourself for a minute. This is going to be a tremendous series. Now, one of the guys I don't like talking about in the Bible is a guy named Samson. Uh, he is a guy that has, uh, to me, <laughs> too many issues. But he's also a guy that we can relate to. Judges chapter 13 is where we're going to start our study. And in this book of Judges, the book that basically covers the life after Joshua, when Israel had decided to go after their own plane. As a matter of fact, in Judges chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says this, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, so the Lord uh, delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. This is a horrible season for Israel. This is a season where they partially obeyed, partially responded, and then every man in, in this text, the Bible says, they went after their, they, they did whatever they wanted to in their own eyes, whatever was right. And it led to a lot of issues, a lot of problems. And so throughout the book of Judges, there are people that God would send to deliver Israel from certain levels of bondage. So you'll see as you read through each of the chapters, a different, quote, judge would jump up. Or every two or three chapters, a judge would jump up. And one of the judges or our leaders to victory or protectors of Israel uh, was a guy named Samson. Now, I want to say up front, Samson is not a moral model for us. Samson is not a spiritual model for us. He is an everyday guy that God laid his hands on and gave a specific gift to. This is a guy that shows you that God loves ordinary people who have imperfections. His story is so full of imperfections, it's hard to read. But it's God being candid. You know, it's one of the things about the, the, what they call the inerrancy of Scripture, the fact that the Bible records the the undeniable truth of the word of God, because it's critical. It, you know, it lays out the truth about people that are going in the right direction and people that are going in the wrong direction. And he doesn't spare names. You can be David. You can be, you can be Peter. You can be anybody. You can be a great hero in the Bible. But it doesn't matter. If you messed up, God laid it on the table and told the truth about his people. Again, that's what makes the Bible such a tremendous book because it's truth, good or bad. And so in our study today, we're going to take on the topic, and this is our next theme for the next four sermons. We're going to talk about telling the truth. And specifically, we're going to talk about families today. It is my conviction that families don't always tell the truth. And so we're going to talk about family lies today. And that's the basic start of our series. And we're going to look at Samson's life. And what you're going to find is, this guy was in a family that refused to lie. They were incredibly truthful. And he makes you think about your family 
And that's the big question for the day. What is the truth about your family? What is the truth about your family and where are they? If you look at Samson's life, you would think, what family did he come from? Some of the things he did. But when you look as we are today at his father, his mother, and the way he was raised, and I'm going to give you seven observations about his family that just were outstanding, you will wonder how in the world could a guy be so together and end up going in the wrong direction. But once we talk about family lies this week, next week we're going to talk about romantic lies, lies that are centered around romance. In this guy's life, one of the biggest problems he had was romance. He kept choosing the wrong people, and he kept making incredible decisions centered around romance and love. So some of you lovebirds need to stay with us next week. Then thirdly, imaginary lies. He had this imagination that he would fall into, this mindset of pretending when it really wasn't true. And it's like that song, just my imagination once again, right? Running away with me. This guy was like that. This guy was a guy who was full of imaginary thoughts. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the consequences of, of, of lies. The consequence of our lies. What happens when we don't tell the truth? I'll tell you, it's so important that you have a moment that you say to yourself, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to sit down here and say, this is the truth about me. This is what I am going to do. This is what I'm going to say. This is the truth. What is true about your family? Is it really true that you are uni- you're unified, that you're together? Are you really divided? It's a great study. It's a great truth. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, and let me take you on a journey. This is going to be in Judges Chapter 13, verse 2. This is so important. It has an incredible flow of truth. And there are seven observations I want to make about his family. I want to put something on the screen to summarize this guy's family for you, just in a statement. And then I'll come back and talk to you about the seven observations about his family. Number one, notice this statement. Samson came from a godly, a good family, rather. But he made life challenging for those close to him. He was naive, arrogant, fleshly driven, violent and deceitful. But God found a way. Listen to this now. But God found a way to use him to make a difference in Israel. He is not a moral example. He is a redemptive example. God never forced him to do right. He allowed him to stumble into his faith. And at the end of his life, he seemed to have faced the truth just before he died. Now, I hope it doesn't take you that long. I hope you don't take Samson's life as a model for you. Because this guy had no reason to be this way. That that God used him and, and, and there was a unique way that God found to use his gifts and talents to help Israel through some very difficult times. But this was a guy who came from a family that I want to describe for you in seven ways. I, I thought this was profound. And, I've, and of all the times I've studied his life, I just never noticed this. And here we go. Seven observations about Samson's family. Let me get it out here. First of all, notice how hard they tried. They, they tried really, really hard to help this guy. And number one, they came through a barren season. Samson's family managed a barren season. Uh, verse 2 of, of chapter 13 of the book of Judges. A certain man uh, of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. Now, this is a tremendous, tremendous burden in this day. 
because people felt that when you didn't have children, that somehow you were cursed of God, you weren't blessed of God. So he goes on in verse 3 and says this, The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. Now, this is going to become part of the spiritual agreement between uh, Manoah's wife and, and the Lord. And part of it is you're going to have a baby. This is the prophecy they get. But you can't drink beer. I'm sorry. You can't get high. You can't do it. Can't, no wine, no alcohol, nothing. Well, watch what happens. This is a moment where you notice that this family is able to survive in faith with a good attitude in a barren season. How do you manage moments when you don't have what you want? You're not fruitful. Do you manage barrenness well? This is a family that did that. They were the same family with children and without children. Are you the same family with money and without money? Big house, small house. Are you the same? These are the same people. They don't change. Secondly, notice, this was a family that accepted boundaries because they they were told, okay, you're going to have a baby, but here are the boundaries. Now, some people don't like boundaries. They don't like God. God can bless them, but don't give them any boundaries. Look at verse verse 5 of chapter 13 of Judges. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you a baby, but here's the bottom line. Um, <laughs> you, you can't uh, cut his hair. He's going to take what they call the Nazarite vow, which is a vow of dedication, consecration. And, it, and this vow meant that, okay, you have to set these boundaries in place. How well does your family accept boundaries? Just think about this for a minute. Now, I'm, what I want to look at is how amazing this is. They, could be, they were barren. They, they managed that. And they were the same with and without. Now, when they are given this opportunity, they now accept the boundaries. Now, watch what happens. In verse 6, you're going to notice not only are they people who embrace boundaries, but they communicate. They're talkers. They say something. They don't just hear. They respond. Look at verse 6. The woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God from God. Look at this now. He looked like an angel from God. Very, very awesome. I, I didn't ask him where he came from and didn't tell me. He didn't tell me his name. And he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. So I want you to notice the husband and the wife are talking. This communication in this family. Somehow I believe communication is the issue for a lot of people. It is the reason your family can't ever evolve to the next level of opportunity. She talks to this guy, he's a prophet or whoever, he gives her this prophecy, she runs home and communicates it. In context, tells him exactly what the man said. Now I want you to watch the, the husband's response. This is in verse 8. Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us 
come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Notice that the husband hears the prophecy from his wife, believes the prophecy, and then prays, could you send that guy back because I have a few questions. And here's one thing I want you to send him back for, Lord. I want to be taught by him. Here's a family that doesn't just communicate. They just, they're not just people that can talk, but they are teachable people. Now, I want to tell you something that's interesting. Whenever you um, put two families together, both families teach the other one. The question is, are both families willing to be taught? This is a teachable family. Bring that man and God back. We want to learn from him. Please, God, please, God, please, God. Well, watch what happens. When he comes back in verse 11, watch this family, number five, ask questions. So if you're writing notes, write this down. Now, number one, they, are, they can manage being barren. They, have, they can accept boundaries. They can communicate, and they are teachable. They're teachable, and they are full of, number five, questions. Look at verse 11. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. Who is, what is my son's purpose? So in verse 9, it says that the angel of the Lord, this man, comes back. The woman runs and tells her husband. Manoah runs up to the man in verse 11 and says, hey, are you the same guy? Are you the guy that my wife talked about? Are you the prophet? And here's the first question he asked the prophet. First thing he asked was, what is my son's purpose? You tell me what my son's purpose is. Notice he's asking the question. He's not demanding anything. He's asking questions. This is an incredible family. These are the people who raised, raised this man, Samson. You would think if you were raised by someone who's humble, teachable, that they, they would spread to the son. We'll look at verse 12. Watch what else he asked him. Manoah asked him, when you, your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the uh, boy's life and work? What's his purpose? And what are the rules? Tell me the rules. I want to know the rules. <laughs> Do you like rules? Do you even like them? Does your family like rules? If you want to know why some families are more blessed than others, it's because of this. They can handle boundaries, rules. They're not people that have to have a lot. They're happy whether they're barren or not. They're the same. They're teachable. You're praying for God to bless you. You go to church all the time. But when it comes to being teachable, embracing boundaries, and you see that in this church culture, I see now in this season we've been in how bad Christians are at living in boundaries. They're, they're really not good. We need to teach or train or something because any kind of restriction, any kind of boundary is considered a violation of your rights. Wow. You know, what if, what if this guy had said to Manoah, had said, listen, angel, you're you going to give me a boy. He's going to be my boy. He's going to do what I want him to do. I'm not going to obey any of these rules now because it's my son. You don't tell me how to raise my son. That, that could have been his attitude. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of times God can't give you things because you have that attitude. Because you have to have control. You have to be in charge. It's your church. It's, listen, wait a minute. Can you live within boundaries? And so he says, I'm assuming, no, I can't. 
I can't. I can't live with the imbalance, basically. He sat there and draws this line in his mind and says, you know, I, I just, that, that, that's what a lot of people say. But he didn't say that. He didn't say that. No, he didn't. No, he said, tell me the boundaries. Show me the limits. Show me where I can adjust this right now. Show me the way. Then the last two more things he said that was impressive to me that I noticed, that number one, number six, he was hospitable. The angel of the Lord answered him, your wife must do all that I have told her. That's what he told her. Verse 6, 15, 14, she must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine. And he goes through this whole conversation with him and basically says, uh, at the end of the conversation, Manoah says, would you come and eat with us? And the angel says, I won't eat, but I'll come sit with you. And he comes with him and he ends up going up in a smoke of fire. If you skip down with me and notice, I'm going to read the whole text for you. Verse 13, the angel of the Lord appeared, answered him, said, your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I've commanded her. Knows everything I've commanded her. Verse 15. Let me stop there. Some things won't come until you do everything. It's an everything level of commitment. If you want this son, you want this opportunity, you're going to have to do everything. For your family to have what you're asking for, you've got to do everything. Pretty powerful statement. Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. Verse 16, the angel of the Lord reply, replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was an angel of the Lord. Then, then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? What is your name? I love this. Watch this. So that we may honor you when your word uh, comes true. Verse 18, he replied, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding anyway. This is, I'm not here to give you my name. I'm not here for you to honor me. That's not what this is about. So verse 19, Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did not, watch this, the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched as the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was an angel of the Lord. And I want you to notice, this is a moment. This is an incredible moment. I love the way the angel responded. This is not about me. It's not about any. But notice this guy's effort to be hospitable, his efforts to be kind. Oh, boy, I'm telling you, there's something about how you treat people that invites opportunity into your family. But look at the final thing I want to notice, the seventh observation about this family that I think stands out. It's amazing. Number, number seven is this family valued obedience. And verse 22 proves that they were fearful of being disobedient. We are doomed <laughs> to die, he said. And he, he said to his wife, we have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor show us all these things are now told us this. The woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and he grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Maniah, um, down between Zorah and Eshtal. This is, a, this is a guy 
who starts seeing God move on his life at an early age. So now, what do you learn from all this? It's a good family. Amazing family. What kind of family do you have? Is your family honest, truthful, or is your family living on the margins without boundaries? Is your family teachable or not teachable? You see, a lot of times you have great vision for your life and great plans, but it's like, ah, God looks at your resume or your family and goes, I don't know if I can, these people, these people, these people. As a group, and then you can have a group family attitude, this is not the kind of people I can prosper. These are not the kind of people that are going to live within boundaries. These are not the kind of people that are going to be hospitable. They're not going to be nice to people. They're not going to be nice to their neighbors. There's no formula that I can use with this particular family to advance them as a group. So they can't have a Samson. Now, now, as I said, as good as they are, they're going to have challenges with Samson, which I kind of told you about already. But what's powerful is the kind of family they were. So parents, you can learn from this family. So I'm giving you like four things to think that I think you can learn from this family that might be helpful to you. Number one, children make their own choices at some point in their lives. It's not always your fault. And for some of you, you, you're like this family. You've lived within boundaries. You've been hospitable. You've done all you can do. You've been teachable. But you look up and you've got this son and you go, how in the world? You almost want to curse. Don't do that. But you want to look, how in the world did I get this kind of kid? Because kids make their own choices. There is a truth that we need to keep in our minds in this. Uh, and I don't say this in any way to um, imply something wrong with science or with um, psychology or counseling. Uh, Samson's problem wasn't because he had a bad family. He wasn't treated badly. He chose to do certain things. And sometimes children make their own choices. They make a decision. I choose to be crazy for a while. And some of you were like that. If you go back in your life, it wasn't your mom, it wasn't your daddy, it wasn't anybody, listen, nobody abused you. It was because you chose to be. Now, some of you have a story. I agree. I'm not saying I'm not discounting the pain of your past. But I'm simply saying at some point, if you're honest, it's not, your, it's not all your family's fault. You know, we want to make it daddy's fault, and mama's fault, and the brother's fault, and, you know, and the cousin and nephew. But at some point, I want you to think about it, you can end up, in a place because you choose to be. So that's the first lesson. Children make their own choices at some point. Number two, parents only have advisory powers after a certain age. And God designed it that way. God designed it that at some point I start losing power. I, I can tell you when. I can, I can name in the rearing of my kids. I can tell you this is when I saw it change. I saw it turn left. At certain ages, you see it. And I believe that they have to turn. They, they've got to decide on their own. Children make their own decisions. Parents slide over to be advisors. And the painful part is the older they get, the worse decisions they can make. When they're young, you know, two and three-year-old, they can't make a decision to put them in prison at two or three. But when they get 30 and 25 and 18 and 15, they can make decisions that can put them in prison for the rest of their lives. And as a parent advising them, you want to say, those friends aren't good for you. That direction is not good for you, but you can't control it. Third thing I've learned, you are not responsible. <laughs> it's important. But pay for their choices along with them. 
and that can be unfair. But you pay along with them. Their grandparents right now with a whole bunch of kids, you did not birth those kids. Your daughter went out, or you're, and you're, you're paying for it, all of the kids. You're, you're, you're responsible for their choices, and there are times that kids let you do that without apology. And parents, that's part of the parent tax that you pay sometimes. It's fourthly, and you see this in Samson's life as we go through the series. Fourthly, you can, own, you can feel the pain God feels when his children go astray. When you go through this, you can relate to God. There's a verse in the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verse 30. Listen to this slowly. It says this, And do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. The word grieve in the, in the Greek, lupeo, is a word that means to put in distress. It means to put heaviness on a person. The Bible says something really profound about God, that God can be grieved. You can do things. You can behave in ways that make him sad. You, you can put heaviness on God. You feel it when you read Jeremiah and Isaiah and Lamentations and various parts. When you see Jesus in Gethsemane, you see this heavy load. Paul talked about it. The burden he talked about of carrying the church on his shoulders every day and all the things he had to deal with. There are things that come when you're dealing with people who don't respond. And I'm telling you right now, sometimes families, man, boy, the lies, the deceits, the things that, that come up that you didn't create. And if you're not careful, you'll lie about it and you won't tell the truth about it and you won't face the truth that, man, your family's not where you thought it was. You know, the greatest lesson from today's events, all this happened. I now know where people are. It's a lesson about religious people and politics and how people can be swayed left, way left, way right, how people can lose their way, how it's so easy for a person to not see what they're doing and it's grieving. Somebody said this to me the other day. They said I was describing some of the feelings I was having. And, and they said, do you think you're grieving? And I thought, and I said, you know, you're right. That could be what I'm feeling. This heavy load every now and then when I watch the news. This heavy load when I talk to Christian brothers that I love. And I see the extremes left and right. And I see the things that they do. And I'm thinking to myself, and see, you made that political left and right. See, our brains are being put in this box <laughs> You, and whenever I say this, you think, oh, boy, he's talking about Democrats. Oh, he's talking about the Republicans or whatever. You, your brain that got switched. See, it's almost like we're put in this box and there's this limit on us and we can't think about just what it says. It's just grieving. And there are grandmothers right now, you're just grieving. You look at your grandkids and you just grieve. You look at your son and you just grieve. How in the world did that boy get that way? What in the world? And throughout Samson's life, let me tell you, his parents, you're going to read with me next week, they just grieved. There were moments when they just could not imagine. How could we be such a good, godly, focused family, living in boundaries all your life? Because they have the power of choice, the greatest thing God ever gave you. Now, here's the question, though. What will be the outcome? That we'll talk about down the road. You can't focus on that. Some of you are too afraid. Here's what you got to do. You ready, mama, daddy? Grandmama, you hear me? Look at me. Here's what you do. You go forward. You be what God designed you to be. You give them the best you can. And then you just wait and see. 
and let God guide you. The Bible says that there's no weapon that's formed against you that will ever prosper. In the end, God's going to make it all right. Today, you don't know the answer, but in the end, you will. Just make sure you do one thing. You ready? Tell the truth. If you're jacked up, admit it. If your family's messed up, admit it. If you didn't do a good job raising them, admit it. If they didn't, if they're going in the wrong direction, don't cover for them. Don't lie for them. Tell the truth. That boy needs a job. Tell the truth. If, there, if, if something is going off the cliff in your marriage, tell the truth and get help. There's something about that moment in your life when you say this needs to be told. And in today's culture, I look at the church, I look at the Christians around me, I'm saying I need to tell the truth. We need to tell the truth. That's how you fix it. You do it in love, the Bible says. Speak the truth in love, but in the end, tell the truth. And let me tell you the most important place to tell it it's not in the politics. It's not in the White House. It's, it's in your home. And then more important than in your home, in your mirror. When you look in the mirror, tell the truth about your addictions, about your bondages, about your insecurities, about your fears. Tell the truth. Every now and then I get off. And when I get off, you know what I do? I look in the mirror and say, Temple, tell the truth. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray today for your hand to be upon us. May we tell the truth. There are people out there that don't know you as Savior. May this be the moment that they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Let me tell the truth. I need to surrender my life to God. I need a change. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I pray you were blessed by today's message, and I hope it helped you see family different. This is a guy whose family was amazing. They communicated, they tried, they talked to him, they did all that they could, but he still went left and not right. But in the end, he came back, and so can you. If you've gone in the wrong direction, let me pray for you today. Father, I pray for those who would say, this is a story about a man whose family gave it all that they had. I pray for families, Lord God, who are feeling hopeless because their sons are turning to the left, not to the right. I pray for healing in their lives. I pray for grace in their lives. And I ask your hand to be upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, next week, we're going to talk about, next time we gather, we're going to talk about, guess what? Romantic lies. Families can lie, but romance can lie to you too. Don't you miss the next sermon. It's really going to be great. See you next time.